0: Hi guys welcome back to my steps to sobriety my show on youtube and as a podcast with me your host stefan neff another day another fantastic interview waiting and it's just gorgeous because i, I meet all these wonderful people from around the world who like me who have gone through through periods of prolonged periods of darkness have gone through their more than fair share of trauma and have come out the other side and are now willing to talk about it and willing to share the lessons that they have learned the hard way. And that honors me every single time. And today is no different. I've got Evangela Haley with me, a woman who has gone, who has undergone a massive transformation and this transformation from darkness into the light is so beautiful. I'm I'm absolutely humbled and honored to have you on my show. Evangela, welcome.
1: Thank you, Stefan. Um, I'm very honored to be here Hmm. and to just have this time to share my experience and myself with you and your listeners. Thank you for having me.
0: That's beautiful. And already before the before our recording, we I commented on the importance on the beauty of the Phoenix that rises from the ashes, which is big behind yes. you. So so yes. how did the, the original phoenix look like? What was your how did your story start? How did it start when you were a young girl? First of all, the positive. What did you want to be? Who do you want to be when you were a young girl? Did you have any dreams?
1: Um, I did. Um, I had, you know, the dreams of being um, a scientist, actually, when I was very young. Um, nice. Science was a subject that I, I really enjoyed. And, you know, I wanted to be a scientist when I grew up, a computer scientist. was um, oh, so what I would tell my mom that I wanted to be in, you know, share with my friends and things of that nature. And yeah. although I didn't follow along that path, yeah. um, I took some courses and things of that nature. Yeah. Um it was the discovery aspect of science and the unfolding and the understanding, even with you know computer programs and things of that nature, creating something yeah. um, that you can contribute to the world. That drew me to want to be a scientist.
0: How cool is that? Um, and did that uh, did your schooling allow that? Were there were there oh. science focused? courses that you could actually take or was um, it more more yeah nice try but
1: yeah well we had the you know the basic curriculum mm. that you get with math science and English but I didn't really have anyone steering me into my aspirations. you know oh. the goal was to you know go through school graduate mm. high school and then figure out what I wanted to do right so I didn't necessarily have anyone um, steering me towards those aspirations. To, of being a scientist and so you know it eventually kind of fell by the wayside when life kind of took over and experiences kind of took over
0: what did life come up with as a so-called good idea um for you
1: <laughs> oh so I you know I am an artist um and I love graphic design it's one of the many hats um that I wear and so at a very young age you know I learned that I could draw, didn't have any formal training at the time. Of course, I just like to draw and doodle. And um, so, you know, I started wanting to pursue um, being an artist, being a graphic designer. That type of deal. Um, My home life was not the best. And, you know, a lot of times they speak of pain, breeding creativity and things of that nature. But um, the trauma in my life started very early on. Um, And so I wasn't really very focused or attuned to what I wanted in life, other than surviving what I had going on, you know, from as early as um, five years old, um, I had experiences that no child or adult should experience. And so that was kind of a driving force for me through the rest of my life, trying to pursue things and escape um, from my home life. So. You know, it kind of, it it didn't kill the fire of creativity in me and the passion I had to be a better human being. But it was definitely a struggle for me. It was.
0: How did you try to escape? And, I mean, you were saying the drawing, and often enough uh, children draw the truth.
1: Yes. And...
0: By drawing the truth, you're also telling the truth. Yes. And that can be sometimes quite a problem if you, yes. if you have suffered from abuse, especially sexual abuse, that, yes. uh, yeah, did people believe you? Did people look at the drawings and drew the right conclusions?
1: So for the most part, I, I also, you know, I journaled. I lived in a fantasy world in my journals. And um, while things happened (laughs) for years, because of the way that things were done and how abusers silenced their victims, nobody ever really talked about what was going on. Um, And then I had an epiphany at some point in time, I believe I might've been nine years old, Hmm. that if I did not speak out, that this was going to continue on and so while you know my sisters and myself and my mother we were already in some counseling for dealing with my father um, having abused my older sister I got the epiphany that I needed to speak out at that time and let the counselors and my mother and the adults in the room know what was happening with me as well. Um, I believe my mother believed me. Um, My memory's chunky, you know, so I can't remember word for word and and how everything progressed. But I do remember her crying very real tears of sorrow as she realized that she didn't catch this. And um, we went through a period of upheaval um, in the family, of course. Mm. It was very, you know, it was a very difficult time. I went through guilt and shame because I felt like I had broken up my family structure. Um, I have since healed that belief, (laughs) but I went through, you know, lots of turmoil because um, people in the community knew what was going on and they knew prior, but they weren't doing anything to try to help us or anything. So um, it was kind of a a really huge shift in my family dynamic. And although, you know, there was... um, a sense of safety at first with my father being removed from our home and things of that nature. Um, He came back later on, Mm -hmm. you know? And so um, in steps alcohol (laughs) as a coping mechanism for my entire family, you know? It was a bonding experience for us. I equated family with alcohol. Cracky, Okay.
0: okay. Yeah. That's not common that you get so, that.
1: Interesting. Yes. <laughs> and so, um, you know, most of our family functions, Christmases, oh. all of that, yeah. the centerpiece was alcohol. Oh. And so, you know, as I got older, um, I did, the one thing that I wanted to follow in my um, father's footsteps was with going to the military and, you know, ended up having a, encounter with uh, the Christian church that at the time, it saved my life. It did. It saved my life. It helped me to find a support system. It helped me to get emotions out that I had locked within for so long. And um, I had experienced a sexual assault when I was 18 years old, getting ready you know, to go out into the world and thinking I'm going to leave all of this behind and I experienced a sexual assault, which kind of, I think was the beginning of my spiral into um, full-blown alcoholism um, before it was all said and done, you know? So, you know, go ahead.
0: No, I'm just, I'm, I'm just reflecting that ultimately alcohol is such a powerful, powerful rescue when you're yes. in that in that frame of mind, yes. there's so much pain in your heart, and yes. for a short period of time, you can switch that pain off—a pain mm-hmm. that otherwise transcends everything. That every positive thing, every negative thing, the positive things they just pale in into insignificance mm-hmm. compared with mm-hmm. that pain. The negative things reinforce the pain, so it's mm-hmm. a, it's actually uh, living in hell. and we keep forgetting how powerful alcohol can be to save you from that hell at least for a short period of time yes the problem of course is that your initial one glass of beer or two glasses of wine yeah right they won't go very far after a month or after a year so very quickly you go up and that's the tolerance that develops so I mean what did you end up with how much would you drink on a on a bad day a good day, however you look at it.
1: Well, I, I drank when I was happy, and I drank when I was sad. I drank when I was angry, <laughs> and I drank and I was glad. <laughs>
0: so. uh, uh, poetry in motion, literally. <laughs> so, it's
1: always a good time to drink.
0: Isn't oh, it? It's- isn't it? Uh, yes. Oh, so true. So true. Oh, this must have a real shit day. I've deserved to drink. This yes. is really a good day. I want to celebrate. Let's have a drink. Yes. This is yes. a normal day well, wouldn't it be nice to reminisce with a drink?
1: And you think, oh,
0: fuck off. And we are making that all up in our head. So how much would you drink? What was your poison? Was it vodka? Was Uh, it it whiskey? All of it. So
1: at the the end, at the end, so beer was always my thing. That was my family bonding experience. And towards the end, when um, I decided, you know, it was time to throw in the towel, I would drink whatever, was available at the time, Mm. but beer and whiskey. Beer, whiskey, and gin (laughs) were my um, poisons that that I chose. And, you know, you talk about um, alcohol being effective, you know, as a, you know, I'm also a trauma recovery coach. And I talk to people about how, you know, you have adaptive coping mechanisms and you have maladaptive coping mechanisms. And alcohol and drugs are one of the most effective coping mechanisms to numb how you feel. Correct. And they turn on you. Mm. and this is you know this is my belief and what I stand on as a trauma recovery coach who is also um, in recovery from alcoholism, is that trauma opens us up to addiction, mm. because very big feelings require a very big solution to numb them and alcohol was my solution for a long time drugs might be somebody else's solution sex might be somebody else's solution and so when you can't quiet those voices and you have something sitting there that quiets the voices at least for a little while mm. you know or why wouldn't you choose that when nothing exactly. else has worked exactly. all this time
0: you'll yeah. be stupid not to that is yes. at least the, what your brain uh, tells you. And yes. I, I, the way I explain it is that it really, it becomes such a powerful rescue that you actually, that your brain, your memory systems equate it to oxygen, to water, yes. to food. It yes. comes onto the same level and yes. because your pain is so immense and that is that is fair to say now in you and to a degree in me there there were some damn good reasons that uh, some damn good trauma that caused pain but I want to highlight that this is not a pissing contest okay right it is you trauma comes in many shapes in many things what is absolutely mind-blowing for one person the next person says what are you talking about that is yes so trauma can be anything and therefore it is so important to not put a tape measure onto a degree yes. of trauma whatever uh-huh. you you actually have experienced yes has altered your belief systems have altered yes. your core beliefs that yes. then alters your emotions and in turn yes. it alters your actions and reactions yes so, yes no. i agree and we and we see that essentially the, the PTSD or complex PTSD that is often yes. there in, in response to a whole range of things. Um, yeah. the, the sexual abuse is very much there up front when you look mm-hmm. at the women and their traumas, whilst the, the maybe more traumatic, as in as in physically traumatic things might be more in a man's realm. Having said that motor vehicle accidents happen to everyone and if you have a big a big motor vehicle accident your chance of ptsd is something like one in four one in three thereabouts and that's often something that doesn't get recognized and so these are the traumas that we do recognize that people actually easily find but then there are the smaller traumas the neglect as a child the the, maybe the bullying that didn't leave you disfigured but yes. deep inside leaves you deeply scarred and that yes. can be the trauma. So, you yes. no, I just want to, I want to spell that out that, you know, because your story is so intense, your story is yes. so big. Yes. Uh, therefore guys don't get sidetracked by that. Yes. Uh, at the same token though, take, take note because here's this woman, this gorgeous woman, Evangela, who has just completely revamped her life yes. and, Hell. So you went through hell and now you're you are a very different person. What happened? Yes. What happened? I mean, you were still in school the last time we talked. So you were at school uh, trying to get your life sorted. But alcohol really became this good friend. Where did you go from there? I
1: got into the military, um, went through my eight years, um, got into religion. Religion offered me no answers. Mm -hmm. Um, for the things that I was questioning and, you know, wanting to know about because, um, and to your point about the magnitude of my story, um, I very much want everyone to know that trauma is very subjective, you know, and as you said, it's not a pissing contest. Mm -hmm. My story is very heavy, but whatever each of your listeners experience is, that is their experience Mm -hmm. and I honor it in every way that I possibly can your experience is your experience and it affected you in the way that it affected you. So, you know, I got into um, some churches that um, I believe have been experiencing some trauma themselves.
0: Churches (laughs) churches are ministers. I think we need to distinguish there. Yes.
1: Ministers. (laughs) And so when you get um, leaders Uh who do not know how to effectively address their traumas Uh they inadvertently pass those traumas on to others and not only ministers but just people in general when you don't have a way to um Mm -hmm. effectively deal with your trauma and allow it to be expressed in a way that you can release it you generally pass it on to others Mm. unintentionally sometimes because I do not believe that anybody intentionally harmed me in the churches that I was a part of Mm. um but that harm was there Mm. nonetheless you know and looking back on it you know doing my word to heal and understand the the nature of trauma and the nature of just humans and myself when we're in pain we will do anything Mm. to alleviate that pain you know and you know, the church itself is just not very trauma-informed. <laughs> and I, I happen to believe that a lot of wounded people end up to the, in the church because it, it offers answers. You know, it gives them peace. It gives them a support system, you know, to try to help move through some very heavy things. Mm-hmm. And so I had this experience in the um church buildings <laughs> that I, I went into and um activated my trauma even further with abandonment and things of that nature. So it... I, um, you know, I wanted to learn more. Mm. I'm the type of person that, you know, from very young on, I wanted to know why I believed Mm. the things that I believed. And I always wanted to learn more. If I'm dedicated to something, I want to know all I can know about it. And my pastor didn't appreciate that. He did not appreciate that. You know, I had, um, found out about, um, some passages of scripture that were teaching yeah. about, you know, pastors, evangelists, um, apostles, prophets, and things of that nature. And this man literally told me and my friends, he found out that we went to go see someone teach on this, and literally told us we didn't need to know anything that he didn't teach us.
0: Ha 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 ha. Ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. Oh yeah. dear. Okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> proceeded to sit us down from, you know, we were singing on a choir. We were doing all kinds of stuff. You know, 18 years old, participating fully in church because we really loved this church that we were a part of. He proceeded to sit us down from all of our positions, the things that we love to do. And needless to say, we ended up not going back to that church. Um, he then proceeded to, I think it was that next, we did not go back to the church that next Sunday, we decided that you know we were going to call, call the quits. And we weren't going to be manipulated like that. Yeah. And he proceeds to get up in front of everybody and say that he sees our caskets lined up at the front of the church. What? Yes. What a load of bull!
0: Oh, <laughs> please! I've got, I've got actually more more colourful language if you want some, but no, that's <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's it's so hard because that is exactly. What I hate leaders yes. who misappropriate their power, who, who use yes. their power um for the wrong reasons in the wrong yes. way. He yes. was he was obviously very obviously very insecure about yes. himself. And yes. therefore he felt threatened by you youngsters yes. trying to explore rather than yes. coming onto the journey himself, maybe. Uh, yes. and thought wow what are you talking there well let's discuss let's meet or you know yes. let's bring an expert in someone else yeah and and certainly the, the church that my wife um goes to there often are guest lecturers guest pastors yes who yes. bring their version of christianity yeah. in and that's a beautiful yes. thing so it is but man Oh, and that, was so, a,
1: it, that was a while ago. I'm 41, soon to be 42. <laughs> and, you know, so that, that happened when I was um, 18, 19 years old, maybe 20, somewhere around there. And it was, it was devastating because I saw this man and his wife, you know, they, I had taken them on as my parents, mm. you know, because, you know, I struggled and was estranged from my own parents for a period mm. of time. Mm. And so, you know, went through that whole ordeal with trying to heal from that and mm. um, progress on through life. And so, you know, in the the midst of all of this, I did not realize that I had CPTSD. I mm. only received that diagnosis about six years ago, about five, six years ago. Mm. But um, I was having night terrors and sleepwalking and having all this stuff that was going on, you know, as a result of my trauma. And I'm sitting here thinking I'm crazy. <laughs> Well, because you know in my community we just we don't talk about those things you pray it away
0: but having said that uh, you were eight years in the military um yes. let's not forget that there should yes. have been or there there would have been even uh, some remnants of psychological help some awareness towards ptsd um may i ask you your combat role was there what did you get deployed somewhere or was it more
1: So I was, it was more stateside. I was about to be deployed to Iraq. Um, My, I think it was 9-11. I will never forget the day. I was in my college dorm room, 21 years old. And I step out onto the um, common area Mm. and I see, I think it might've been the second plane hit. Mm. I can't remember, but at that moment, I knew right then, eventually you're going to war. Mm. And surprisingly enough, (laughs) you wouldn't have figured I would have joined the military if I was afraid of going to war. Now I realized nobody wants to go to war, mm. but like my entire military career was spent being afraid that I was going to get pulled to go to war because of <laughs> my sleepwalking and night oh, terrors.
0: Right. Right.
1: Um, so, and this, you know, fun fact, when you sign up for the military, they ask you, do you sleepwalk? Really? And yes, it's on the application. Well, I don't know if it's still on there now, but, in 1998, when I signed up, that was literally on the, um, I guess the contract or maybe the application. And I look at my recruiter and I say, you know, I slip am when I'm, when I'm stressed. Yeah. And she looks at me and she goes, you don't have to worry about that. You want to go to war you're good Uh and then fast forward Uh
0: three years Uh later Uh 9-11 happens Uh well that that is not (laughs) very handy when you're in a Russian minefield at night so now the sleepwalking nah nah it's highly unrecommendable um yeah (laughs) oh god (laughs) you know
1: 2001 um you know it it, 9-11 happens and I'm like I'm going to war I knew it you know in my heart I was like it's about to happen you know so I go Mm. Uh, you know, trying to prepare myself for what's going on, and I did not go in the first rotation. I did not go in the second rotation, the third rotation. Um, my number was up. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I get ready to mobilize and and all of that good stuff. And as I'm at my mold station, my PTSD and night terrors, sleepwalking, everything is on full display. Mm-hmm. Um, outside, walking around my barracks, sleepwalking, mm-hmm. and you know, coming to and I'm I'm outside and I'm looking around and I'm like, I can't I can't do this. Mm-hmm. You know, so I get on the phone with my mom. Mom is acting up again. You know, that whole conversation. and She tells me, honey, you need to go to the psychiatrist. You need to talk mm-hmm. to somebody and let them know what's going on with you. Of course, the commensurate shame comes in with that because, you know, I signed up to do my duty and, you know, go talk. Have the conversation, spill my guts, and everything, and I end up getting you know discharged, honorably discharged mm-hmm. from the military.
0: Um,
1: and then i will go on about did my Did you life. receive
0: just one second? Did you receive the help through the military? Were no. they accepting, or why did no. you have to step out? Would they have so, not? I mean, I mean, mind you, that was when 2002, 2001. Something no, this like that was now.
1: 2000. I want to say 2004, 2005.
0: Right, okay, fair enough. Yes. So yeah. the, the United States was still finding its feet as far as the war yeah. in Iraq was concerned. Yes. This was supposed to be a quick in and out. Uh, yes. What do you mean, PTSD? Now nah, we are there for, for nation yeah. building, blah, blah. Yeah. Fallujah was still in the future and yeah. all the other. That's fine. Right. So now I hear you. Okay. So yeah. that's a problem, isn't it? That peacetime military, They. it's a job. It's ultimately yes. a job that has certain you know rules certain benefits yes. certain things yes. no one expects in a peacetime military to actually go to a war uh, and that right. is often yeah it's not a career that you suddenly equate how strange it sounds with actually war at least not in the yes. 80s 90s because with the right. cold war we worked so hard that we didn't have a war so they yes. uh, Yes. Okay, now so military was out for you. How bizarre yes. even that sounds. Um, in military in the sense of help through the military. The psychiatrist yeah. that you spoke to, how how did you with Hansard find his his approach? Where did you receive the, the, the care that you yeah. uh well, what was- <laughs>
1: the military or at least the military that I experienced?
0: Yeah,
1: once you lose your usefulness to them. They treat you like crap.
0: Correct. Correct.
1: And that was exactly um, when I was getting ready to get mobilized and and Mm. things of that nature to go in country. um, There were people there who, I mean, they were hurt. They had physical issues going on. They were not fit for war. And they were still trying to get these people sent in country. Um, After I got discharged there was nothing else said. The psychiatrist that I talked to it was a female. She was the most cold and sterile human being I have ever seen before in my life. Shit. Just cold and sterile. And it was like, um, yeah, get out of my office. She didn't tell me to get out of my office. That was the energy. It was like, okay, we can't do anything with this. Yeah, we're going to discharge you and, and send you along your way. Okay. So there are, you know, there are not a lot of um, it is not a warm and fuzzy type of deal with the military. <laughs> once once you have <laughs> passed your point of usefulness, that is it.
0: Uh, <laughs> so, I'd you know, for those it, yeah. Yeah. for those who
1: may be, you know, wanting to go to the military. And like I said, that was what, 2004, 2005. Mm. Um, I do know that the military has some um, they've in- introduced some measures to help with the mental health um, issues of soldiers. Mm. Mm. Um, I don't know if it will help or harm them because when you go to war, war is not a place where anyone is going to care about your feelings.
0: Correct. Correct.
1: You know, with that being said, I do think that there needs to be a stronger, um, mental health system for when, um, our soldiers do come back to help them, to help them integrate back into society. Because after living, in a war situation and being afraid of your, for your life for a year, Mm. you're not going to be able to just come back and be okay with life. And there are so many of, you know, we call each other battle buddies in the army We call each other battle buddies. So many of my battle buddies who they have PTSD Mm. and there are no effective, in my opinion, resources for them to be able to get all of that out you know seeing your buddy lose a limb or even lose his life
0: you know but it happens. doesn't but it doesn't need to be as bad the, the sheer fact you might have not a, someone immediately lost or been immediately there yet yeah. a year is being fired upon and having rules of yes. engagement that might yes. prohibit you from any sensible response gives you the same as a toxic workplace you're yeah. helpless you're hopeless. You are. Mm-hmm. You're just pissed off. Hyper Exactly. So yeah, it gives you all. Ah, it's all there. It's all there, plain yes. to see, and it's just yeah. the logic. So please. So if you if that story rings a bell on you, doesn't matter that you didn't see somewhere guts hanging off the ceiling. No, yes. it is. It's time. If you feel like yes. that, for fuck's sake, time for you to talk. Time yes. for you to accept that it's okay not to be okay, and time yes. for you to actually open up maybe to your family physician, to your GP, to your yes. to whoever is there. Um, yes. I whilst you were saying with your with your church, this was rather a, a bad experience. I yes. certainly I would probably agree that there are many churches, God, uh, but they're equally I've <laughs> met meanwhile. Whilst I'm yes. not religious, I'm don't go to church. I met some pastors who are amazing people who would listen to you and maybe guide you towards a solution. So you you said it before, Evangela, there are so many sources um, potentially out there, but most of us don't know about them. Let's put it like that. And most of us don't know that we actually need them. That's the worst.
1: uh? That's that's true. That's true.
0: (laughs) But here you were. So you were in the military eight years and that ended up in not as the nicest of all experience. The church didn't end up with a nice experience. So so far, goodness gracious, you're what, 26, 27 now? Yes. And, you know, the alcohol is still your best friend uh, because you're still numbing yourself. How the hell did the story continue? So so
1: I, you know, I got to a point while I was in the church, I had about six or seven years where I didn't drink. Wow. Didn't drink at all. Um, You know, was with a group of friends, we had established a connection within um, helping each other and helping others in our own way, you know, and and trying to help people who had been hurt by, you know, people in the church and, you know, doing that and. Mm We ended up, because, of course, we all came together. We had all been abandoned. We had our own traumas. And we ended up going through um, what I call a a falling away uh, within our friend group. And that is what actually drove me to the the breaking point when I was 37 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, Relationships were not um, going where I needed them to go. I was codependent. I was struggling, you know, still having mental health issues and things of that nature. And I just got to a breaking point um, before, you know, I thought that I could stop when I wanted to. And like I said, I had that six, six year period where mm. I didn't drink anything. Mm. Well, I set, decided to go back and start drinking again and smoking a little weed. Side <laughs> so, And, and um, I ended up hitting a brick wall um, 2017 I'll I'll never forget. I, this is probably about, this is probably 15 years in the making, but mm. um I realized I couldn't stop. And every day I would wake up and I promise myself, Angela, we're not gonna drink today. <laughs> and every <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> every day I'd get off from work uh, and it a- wouldn't even I'd be like, look, I deserve this. It was, it was very interesting when you said earlier, uh, talking about I deserved it. I <laughs> worked hard because I was very much functioning.
0: I was yeah. very
1: much functioning, high functioning at that. Uh, I deserve this uh, entire six pack.
0: Uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and that's for breakfast. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I deserve uh, this
1: fifth. I deserve, uh, I deserve this and I'm going to have it. Because you know, I have no other because for me and, and many of my friends um within um sobriety, we talk about that that I take my first drink and uh, that sigh of relief. Exactly. And and people don't they don't understand it is a literal sigh
0: is it that not? you get. Yes, yes.
1: And that's and that's what we're looking for. We're looking for that ability to be able to exhale. Hmm. Because we haven't been able to do that all day. I've been running around, mm-hmm. obsessed. Oh, when I get off, when I get off, when I get off, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get me something to drink, and I'm just gonna sit down <gasps> and relax. Yes, that Alpha A did it every single time. That's right. And it wasn't until I woke up the next morning with the realization of the fact that I didn't keep a promise to myself
0: mm-hmm.
1: that then that you know that 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 shame, that guilt, I did it again you know um, all comes it comes roaring back in and then of course you need another drink to get going for the day Ooh, and the then, you know, up. yes yes <laughs> to get it going for the day and then you know it's off to the races you hmm. you do what you have to do to, to be able to hmm. function as a wounded individual in this world and smile for everybody and it's it, Stephanie, it's 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 rough when people see you as the strong person. Mm. You know, I'm pretty stoic. I don't, you know, I'm I'm an emotional person. My internal world is it's going off all the time, but it doesn't show my face, and so people don't really believe that I'm an emotional person. They think Mm -hmm. that I'm strong, that Mm -hmm. nothing affects Mm -hmm. me and all of that. And that in and of itself is a trauma response Mm -hmm. um, because I learned not to show how I feel because that's weakness. That's weakness. And I didn't want to be weak, you know. So I didn't talk to anybody. Um, I was, um, you know, in several of the the relationships that I was in, Mm -hmm. who I was emotionally emotionally was not acceptable you know I was seen as overly emotional too sensitive and so I shut that part of myself off
0: oh shit yeah
1: shut that part of myself off and you know of course that requires more alcohol to shut that off more numbing (laughs) more um (laughs) doing things to to quiet all of the turmoil that I had going on Mm. inside of me and so I remember you know I had my best friend telling me, you need to go to therapy. And I'm like, whatever. And a large part of me knew that if I went to therapy, I was gonna have to change everything that I was doing because I was also codependent.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And I knew I was gonna have to change everything about myself. And so I pushed it off, I pushed it off, I pushed it off. Until so one day I was like, Evangela, you've gotta, you've gotta do something different yeah. because I had become Um, I had become suicidal. Um, And I I, I do need to insert that I did not want to kill myself. I wanted the pain to end. And the only way that I thought that I could end the pain that I was in was, you know, suicide. Contemplating, you know, what would it be like if I wasn't here anymore? And so, at that, thankfully I was too much of a coward to... (laughs) go through with it but eventually landed in therapy and um, you know I had I called her you know I got online psychology today and started searching for therapists and I called several people and nobody called me back so I was like okay God I see you I see you God <laughs> Um, but I eventually I got a hold of one lady uh-huh. and she responded to my email and we set up a 30 minute call and from that 30 minute call and all of my alcoholism and, and just trauma activation and all that, I knew that she was going to be the one to help me heal. And so I started therapy and, and, you know, I get in there and, you know, I, I do what's necessary to start trying to open up and and things of that nature, which is is extremely hard. Isn't And, um, I finally approached the subject of, do you think I'm an alcoholic? And she smiles at me and she goes, I don't know. Do you think you're an alcoholic? I said, I I don't know. And so she pulls out the (laughs) (laughs) DSM-5. And she says, I'm gonna read to you. And I think it was 10, 10 things. Um, in that list and she read them off and I think I had eight of them. Uh (laughs) And I mean, I start bawling uncontrollably because I don't know if anybody else has this experience. I'm pretty sure they do, but you get to this point in alcoholism and addiction and things of that nature that you can't be with it and you can't be without it. Hmm. And so, you know, I'm bawling my eyes out and crying and all that, that stuff. And that day I was like, Okay. So I'm an alcoholic. What do you want to do about it? Talk to her about it. She gets me into this, um, you know, so I ask her, you know, what can I do about this? And she used to work for a treatment facility. So she told me about this facility. She was like, I can um, get you
0: Mm.
1: into this facility to um, help you and everything. So I'm like, okay, give me the information. I held on to the information for several months, went to, <laughs> went to AA meetings while still drinking, you know, doing that whole nine yards. And then um, I was like, okay, Vangela, we're going to do this or you're going to destroy your life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I give, give a call. Someone calls me back and says, well, I don't have um, any beds in the facility that I wanted to go to, but." Um, if you are willing to travel, um, I can get you into a facility in Malibu, California. Now I'm in Tennessee uh, and <laughs> I was like, <laughs> Malibu, California. Okay. You know, what's the cost? All right. <laughs> because we both know, um, being over there in California is pretty expensive. Um, and they told me, you know, how much the price was and, you know, got insurance, paperwork, and everything. Yeah. May I
0: ask what was the price?
1: The price uh, was going to be $35,000 to my insurance.
0: That's U.S. dollars. And we're talking for a four-week stint?
1: No, this is for a month stint, a month-long stint. Yeah. Yes. And so my share of that would have been uh, $2,800 with insurance covering it through my um, employer. So um, I get online because I am a researcher and I'm looking at this place. And it is absolutely beautiful. Of course, I wasn't really paying attention there at the time because I'm horrified I'm not going to be able to treat anymore. But um, go through the process, um, get my flight booked. And when I fly into LAX um, in 2017, yeah, 2017, um, I get picked up by this black Tahoe with black tinted windows. And because I have been through um, the trauma that I've been through in my childhood, I don't trust people. And I'm like, somebody's going to pick me up and I'm never going to be heard again, heard from again by anybody. So I'm freaking out. I'm like, Oh my God, I don't know this man. He's picking me up. He's not the person I talked to on the phone, you know, going through that whole experience. Um, but I ended up getting there. It is absolutely beautiful right on the, um, coast. I mean, absolutely beautiful. And I get there and, um, Of course, you know, treatment facilities are run by therapists. And then I have a um, nurse who looks at me and she says, honey, it's going to be okay. And I felt like I had held my breath the entirety of the trip. Uh And when she said that to me, I was able to start breathing. I don't know what it was, but I was able to start breathing. I was like, okay, you're you're finally in a place where people are going to look after you of course my hypervision it did not settle down at that time. I was still in a strange place with strange people. And um, so, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to give this a go. You know, they fed me really well. We had, you know, a five-star chef and, and that whole experience. And I mean, who doesn't want to be on the, the Pacific coast um, enjoying all of that, but I was matched up with the only trauma therapist there. And in 30 days, I developed friendships. I did very, very hard work to get to a place so that when I walked out of there, I would not turn back. And it was difficult. And my trauma therapist, she told me, she said, Evangel, I've had hundreds, hundreds of people come through here and they have not touched one third of the work that you have put in to try to heal and do what you need to do. (laughs) I was like, I was ready. I said, the Uh. the struggle, you know, that I had to to even get here and try to be present, you know, I wanted to be fully present to this experience so that when I get home, you know, that, you know, I'm done. Because I know what I'm going back to in my life. Mm. I changed. None of the things that were going on around me changed. You know, I changed and I knew that I would have to have a solid foundation in order to be able to go back into my life after being gone 37 days. And, you know, being protected from alcohol and my life. (laughs) I knew that I was going to have to make sure that I had some type of foundation or I was going to relapse in the airport. (laughs) Not even when I got home in the airport. And so, you know. I did what I needed to do. I got home. I was horrified, Um, but I I had to make some very tough decisions. I continued to go to therapy. I changed um, my environment. I changed the way that I related to things. I owned who I was in the conflict that I was having Mm. in my life, Mm. and I've been moving moving forward ever since.
0: And that's exactly what is the truth. The only thing that changes in recovery is everything because you once you realize that one little step can do so much you get thirsty of doing another step and then another step and another step and it is it is But trauma comes in layers no two ways around it Um, right equally healing comes in layers and you do yes. one thing and in your case there was these four gorgeous weeks in this protective bubble of yes. rehab uh so yes. gorgeous because you're taking out of your life all the, the crap like mortgages and whatever yes. is no longer yes. there you can actually focus on yourself yes. you are forced to come off the hamster wheel you're forced to actually stop and yes. think and yes. you have no nothing to to numb yourself, so yes. suddenly yes. you have to experience sadness or yes. fun. Yes. Did you guys have uh, sober fun in your facility?
1: We yes, we um we would go to the beach. Oh my god, I can I cannot swim. Let me uh-huh. <laughs> put that in there. But we went to, I think I moved, we went to four or five beaches. Yeah. And these were the most beautiful beaches we were able to um go out and and enjoy ourselves now i think we went we were we were not allowed to go to venice beach because of the things that go on there it's a very um it's heavy with things we were trying to get away from <laughs> so um but um we were given you know sort of passes to go out and shop and you know experience Same. Same. um california experience yeah. food and 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 things because i'm a foodie yeah. as well so was, you know, I went out and I experienced these things and I formed connections with people who I'm still connected to four and a half years later. <laughs> you know, I went to that? um yeah. I went to Charlotte, North Carolina to visit one of my friends um yeah. last year that um I became very close to while we were both struggling in treatment. And I, you know, it's a beautiful um relationship that I have with him and his wife and his his mm-hmm. daughter. Um and it's just been it's been beautiful for me. I met some of the most beautiful people who Mm. I never would have met had it not been for being um, in recovery and, and finding um, sort of my water wings as I move through things the way that I needed to. And it also birthed a desire for me to um, understand how trauma greatly influences Mm. um, addiction and things of that nature and becoming Mm. a trauma recovery coach and helping people understand that there's nothing wrong with you. (laughs) something happened to you and what do you want to do with that
0: that's right Uh, beautifully said beautifully said because that's the the underlying problem it's the trauma the depression the anxiety that then creates so much pain that we want to escape our reality and we all have the different ways you and I chose alcohol others have drugs others do sleep with everything that has a heartbeat um you know Mm -hmm. uh, gambling um it's it's all the same thing we are yes. completely removing ourselves from our reality. The sugar yes. rush of cookies, yes, please bring yes. it on, yes. and and maybe we should talk about that a little bit because oh. uh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah that's exactly. I was in the same rehab. Uh, God, there was chocolate for Africa, and I had I actually, sadly enough, I exchanged the alcohol. initially for sugar Mm -hmm. so we had these these wine gummy snakes and i lived Mm -hmm. with them and off them so needless to say that the sugar can be incredibly addictive too yes so that's what
1: i tell people um alcohol is essentially sugar and there is such a thing as the the weight gain that comes with the first um Mm-hmm. Year of sobriety. I did not personally have a weight gain because I have always had an aversion to um, sweets. Uh-huh. I don't really, I don't really like sweets a whole lot. Now, when I oh, do indulge, like I indulge, but I mean, I weigh all of one hundred <coughs> excuse me, eighteen pounds um, soaking wet. So you know that wasn't my issue. But I see people come in, uh-huh. and that's what they do. Yeah. They trade alcohol for, and you know, in AA meetings what's there coffee and cookies Mm. (laughs) and sweet snacks and, and, and those things to, you know, that's Mm. just, that's what you see when you go into a, um, when you go into a meeting, you know, you you swap it out, you know.
0: (laughs) Regrettably. Yes. And I think that's, that's where we come to this, uh, to the whack-a-mole game of cross addiction, because you really need to work on the underlying, on the underlying problem because yes. if you don't deal with the problems then you if you stop drinking you start smoking like a chimney if you stop yes. smoking like a chimney then you eat everything that is sweet yes. and yes. so on you're just changing one addiction for the other yes. and uh yeah and some addictions are very socially acceptable take yes. Work. So if you are now going absolutely nuts Working 16, 18 hour days Exactly, distracting yourself again From having to experience the emotions Because you're so busy Well, hmm, let's talk Okay. And I'm as guilty here. I'm as guilty, but I I love my work. I love, I love to be an anesthetist in the daytime and then do my shows and do write a book. Oh, fuck it. Let's write five books. And let's, you know, that's it. I I live my life to the fullest and I have to sort of pull myself back and say, stop. Yes. Yes. I couldn't agree with you more.
1: And I tell people, you know, I've had people, um, tell me, you know, I don't, you know, I'm in i I'm not AA and you know, these types of things, or I'm in um, with codependence anonymous and all this mm-hmm. type of stuff. And I look yeah. at it as, you know, and my hand will be the reference. Um, I'm sorry. You can't see the, the hand on the uh, <laughs> podcast. If you just have audio, but the palm of my hand is the addiction. The, yeah. the fingers are just the different types of addiction that you have. If you don't deal with the palm, You're still going to, you're going to find some way. There are a billion, there there are 10 other fingers (laughs) that you can get involved in. Mm. And I am, mine is workaholism, Mm. you know, Um, I struggle with it. Mm. And it is, it's a more acceptable form of addiction, you
0: know. And and for others, it might be, it might be the sport. I have certainly seen people who are going out there and training for ultra endurance events and, To a certain degree, I've asked one of these extreme guys, are you actually running away from things? And I can believe it. <laughs> I can he, believe it. He took a step back and said, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to talk about that
1: right now. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: right. Right now, right now is a bad time to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, let me do another 180Ks this week. Yeah, yes. sure. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so no, it is. And it is it is what it is that is their yeah. journey they yes. have exchanged one addiction for the other and but they are already one step further than many others are who haven't even made yeah. the first step so yes. okay. recovery is complex uh it trauma is. is complex and so yes. who who are we to say in which yes. sequence do you address your traumas and right. your your recovery so right. now, I, I love what you're pointing out there because that's, for us, that's common sense. When you're in the middle, in the midst of it, it is yeah. so bizarre, the whole thing. Yes. yes. So, ah, oh, goodness. Are yep. you, are you still finding some stashes somewhere or is your, is your, uh, your house very well cleansed um, of alcohol? Of My house is think, very well cleansed of alcohol. Uh, I don't,
1: um, I tell people all the time, you know, yeah. I, I, bet money on the 24 hours that I have yeah um I very much remember what it was like the night before I Uh got ready to go to treatment and I hopefully won't ever go back there yeah but I don't kid myself about it you know as humans when we put distance between ourselves and problems we tend to think we don't have that problem
0: anymore (laughs) so true
1: And, you know, while I do believe that, you know, some people, you know, they have relapses relapses and they come back, um, I hope to not relapse. Mm. And I hope that if I ever do relapse, that I'm able to get back in the saddle and do what I need to do. But, um, you know, I've been around alcohol, Mm. Um, you know, my friends drink and things of that nature. But I personally have not um, I haven't had any slips and I'm very grateful for that. I've got four and a half years under my belt now. And I hope to have, um, many more, but I stay, I stay vigilant of myself because I know that before I ever even have a thought of, Oh, it'd be nice to take a drink. Um, my emotions are what precede my, my emotional sobriety precedes my uh, physical sobriety. Mm. Um, if my emotions are not stable, if I'm not dealing with the things I need to deal with in my life, Um, I'll begin to think that it's a good idea for me to have um, a drink of some sort. And gratefully, (laughs) thankfully rather, I have not thought it a good idea to have a drink.
0: Which only shows that you are are working on your sobriety. You are not working on your relapse. Because these are the only two options that you have in your life as an alcoholic. Um, or as an addict we should call ourselves addicts really because whilst the alcohol or the gambling whatever it was that was your poison the moment you don't look at what really was going on you then jump across to another addiction um, and now you've just exchanged one for the other so therefore let's call it what it is it is an addiction and the, the addiction is a medical disease it's a medical problem that affects your decision making and Mm -hmm. the laying down of memories as i said earlier on your addiction your need to escape reality is on the same level as the need to breathe yes you can't just say i mean nancy reagan's uh famous just don't do it that's the same as Mm -hmm. if you tell a teenager no just just don't have sex it's okay. yes. it's, it's, yeah, see yes. Yes. Yeah, how long that lasts. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it's the same yes. thing. So yes. we need to realize Or just that. don't,
1: or just don't eat, just don't breathe for that's that right. Night. Exactly. That's exactly. how crucial. <laughs> that's how crucial it is. That? Because nobody who who sits and drinks themselves into oblivion when they have a choice. Yeah. Now, I tell people, you know, when you when you picked up the first drink when you were 16 years old, yeah. yep. That was a choice. Mm. But at some point in time, you lose the ability yes. to nice. not do it. Nice. And it's not a matter of willpower. Nice. It's not. And it's not a moral failing. It is you lose the choice in the matter. And that if if people take nothing else away from it, it is not a matter of willpower. It is not an issue of morality. You literally lose the ability mm. to choose mm. alcohol. Or whatever addiction you may have um, takes away your choice. Mm.
0: But you can regain that. And that yes. is, for some people, that's unbelievable. But for yes. us, it is actually reality because yes. we have achieved that. But yes. it was certainly a hard way. It was certainly not an easy way. No, <laughs> no, not at all. So, so don't try that at home, kids. Uh, at <laughs> the same token, do try that at home with the right guidance, okay? Yes. <laughs> with the right guidance. To we do are ju-
1: professionals. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, the point is, so don't just go, I don't drink now. Um, and don't do anything else. Well, <laughs> some people, very few, are actually achieving that. They cannot yeah. drink. And yeah. you can recognize them by their white knuckles. I call them yeah. white knucklers in my book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've written my steps to sobriety here, and cool. I've cool. got I've got the 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 chapter on the high functioning alcoholic in there, yes. and the the chapter on the white knucklers. So basically, yes. don't just stop something. Otherwise, yeah. Who yeah. oh, that was a famous person? I've forgotten who it was who said stopping smoking it's easy i've done it 2000 times um so exactly you will end up doing exactly the same you will relapse 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 and that is that is just showing you how powerful this disease is over your decision making over you over you as a total human being so regardless of of what kind of of treatment you undergo i think there's about an 80 percent chance ballpark um yeah. for a relapse in your first year. Yes. And a relapse is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, it really right. just shows just uh-huh. shows you that you have to do more work. And yes. that's the most yes. beautiful thing because hell, there's so much, so much healing to be done. Um yes. if you've gone through a lot of darkness, then yeah, yes. you might have to do a little bit of work to get out of there and yes. really come to a point where you've dealt with most of the shit in your life. Yes. To learn the new coping mechanisms new micro habits new ways of looking at at things and practice them yes and you i mean for you in the military you don't just practice a new a new technique when you're under attack you probably right practice something when you are in control of the environment where everything is safe um it's the same you know it is uh Maybe it's the same with new coping mechanisms, new things. Maybe you should practice them when you're more or less okay and yes. have a feel how meditation goes, how yes. breathing exercises go, yes. how sober fun goes, all that. Yes. So but it's it's complex, isn't it? I mean it's it's yes. it's amazing. And that's where people like you come in, uh, eventually. Yeah. I mean you are Evangela, sorry. <laughs> Evangela, you are a woman who has gone on that path and who is now teaching others to yes. actually, first of all, accept that they might need help and then actually to guide them step by step along the way. Um, yes. If people like what they heard, if they gel with you, tell yes. me, where can they find you?
1: Um, I am on Instagram um, the most. That is where I'm on their posting. Um, you can DM me and I'm, I'm very responsive. I keep my uh, phone with me. Um, I have a coaching practice called Beyond the Guru Coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, so on Instagram it's at beyond underscore the underscore guru. and then of course you can visit my website um, beyond com
0: beautiful guys have a look down there into the description of the podcast and of the youtube video uh you will find all her links there so you know you could do far worse than actually just have a bit of a closer look and if if her messages gel with you then hey go out there make that phone call make that that introductory zoom meeting and actually just have a chat and you might find wow there is actually hope There is actually a a way forward out of the darkness, which you so far maybe could not see. And there's nothing wrong with that. The past does not equal the future. You are right now listening to this video or to this podcast. Congratulations. You have taken action. You have actually done something. Pat yourself on the shoulder and say, wow, cool. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Now the next step is, okay, okay how can i continue and if you have a plan already or if you if you uh, know that there is a local resource with you who you want to work face to face brilliant do it i encourage you go out there it is your life take control as 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 trauma as people who have gone through trauma we for such a long time have taken on the victim role and that is okay for our time it's okay to lick your wounds that's it is what it is but don't pitch a tent over there in that kind of poor me kind of thing no it is that was the past the past does not equal the future so who do you want to be when you grow up and it doesn't matter if you're 70 or 17 um and these are the questions what do you want to do who do you want to become And Chances are alcohol should probably not be part of it. That is my my educated guess that you wish that. And that's cool. I would expand that and would say addiction probably should not be part of that. Uh, but now how do you go about it? And the answer is simple. One tiny little step at a time. So, And make that phone call with, with Evangela. Make that uh, phone call and go out there and, and see what happens. Hey, What do you think? Very much so. <laughs> Brilliant. Awesome advice. Awesome advice. <laughs> Evangela, hey, you're an amazing woman. You have gone Thank through you. hell and back and kept going, and yes. you're now trying to leave a legacy by helping others. And that's what we all do. That is where we all come full circle from <laughs> from the initial deer caught in the headlights and and being so numbed by our own life towards this this self-love, this, this fulfillness, fulfillness, is that a word? Uh, Being fulfilled. um, (laughs) That is uh, with, with the the beautiful things that we do. Uh, And it is beautiful. And you come up with, with new ideas, how you want to treat yourself and new ideas, how you want to leave a legacy. And who knows? One day you are having your own podcast, guys, and, and are, are changing the world one interview at a time, just as much as Evangela and me are doing. Uh, who says you can't do that? You just can't see it yet. You just you're not yet there. We just have 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 had our moments of clarity earlier than you. So what? So what? This is your own journey. So go out there, live with passion. And if you don't know how to do that, well, start tiny steps and you have taken the first step already today. Evangela, thank you so much for coming onto my show. This was a beautiful no interview.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. I really appreciate it. You're and, you, <laughs> and you guys out there, look after yourself. Bye.